Theology of the Body Institute, this is the Ask Christopher West Podcast. Hi, podcast listeners. Hey, everybody. We're so glad you listen. Thank you. It would be silly to be just talking to no one here. Thank you for listening to our podcast. It is very encouraging to know that people around the world yeah. are tuning in to this humble little podcast. Yeah, it is. And it's it's just an encouragement to us because it's really the only thing that we just kind of, we are the two that do it together. You yeah. have so many other things that you do in your ministry. I love all that you do, but it's very special to me that we do this together and um, and that it blesses people. Awesome. It is a special treat to me, love, to do this with you. Yeah, I know. So uh, speaking of blessings, we're a family that really enjoy music a lot, as um, our listeners probably know that about us. Uh, we like to listen to music. Um, different people play different instruments and sing. And there's been a new sound in our house lately, which is you, my love, playing yes. the piano playing the piano tell our listeners about this okay <laughs> i take a deep breath because this this goes deep for me i'm 52 years old and when i was a boy i had two failed attempts at piano lessons oh, i'm so sorry and it was a miserable both of those experiences were miserable both of them were kind of command performances from my parents you got to take piano lessons sure and i didn't like it and i think the first time i was probably six or seven and then the second time, I think I was 10 or 11, mm. two different teachers. And I felt like the whole world, the way the lessons were presented to me, the whole world of music, playing an instrument was just out of reach, out of touch. I didn't connect. I can still remember the, the books that they were taking me through. I can even smell them and I can see the pictures uh -huh. and it just caused anxiety. Oh, I'm so sorry. I hated it. I hated it. I hated it. And I found my way into music when I was 14 years old and some friends were starting a band and I got the opportunity to uh, play the drums. And I thought, I can hit stuff. <laughs> I can do that. I don't have to read any notes or anything. No piano teachers. I can, I can learn how to hit things. So mu music opened up to me when I started playing the drums. And then when I was 20, I took up the guitar and started writing songs. And, and I don't know if our listeners know this or not, I probably shared this, I imagine I would have on the podcast previously, that I was pursuing a music career. I had written a bunch of songs and was shopping my little album out to different record companies when I discovered John Paul II's Theology of the Body, and my life took a totally different turn. Uh, anyway, recently, I'd say in the last year, this has been showing up in my prayer that I have this kind of shame around failed piano lessons as a kid. And just about two months ago, I had a beautiful experience. I don't even know if I share this with you, love. I'm excited to hear it. Of forgiving those piano teachers hmm. for the way they just didn't connect with me. They mm -hmm. like they had their own program on how they're going to teach piano, and right. they, they just instituted that and I didn't fit their mold so I dropped off. I knew there was some music in me but they didn't they didn't either know how or didn't take the time or whatever to to find a way to present piano to the in a way that I could receive it. 
So I forgave them, and there was a wound there, and I forgave them, and there was a healing in my heart mm. in forgiving these piano teachers mm -hmm. all these years later. Yeah. It's not like some major offense, you know, but there was a wound in my heart. That's right. And and when that got healed up, I was like, I think I'm ready. I think I'm ready to learn how to play the piano. So I did a bunch of online research and found uh, this guy named Jacques something. I forget his last name. I think he lives in California. He does these on online piano lessons uh, called uh, Learn the Piano in 21 Days or something. Um, and I really liked what he was putting out there and, and he connected with me in a way that I think I can learn the piano from this guy. Mm -hmm. So I finally bit the bullet and signed up for his online piano piano tutorial thing. And I'm, I'm sticking with it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to learn at the <laughs> age of 52 to play the piano. I'm not going to be any virtuoso or anything, but I'm going to be able to play chords and sing along and right i'm gonna get there I'm, and i'm excited about it i'm so excited about that i think it takes so much courage and i think that's really awesome that story of forgiving the piano teachers because i think in addition to you know it's forgiving them and as you said there's not even really necessarily it's not like they really sinned against me they but didn't they are just, it wasn't a good fit it wasn't yet but that feeling of maybe shame that yeah. you had as a result of feeling that you'd failed in their eyes right. was a hindrance. Right. And I think that's awesome. And I, I do think there was something that, you know, a, the purpose of a teacher is to find out how the student learns and try to meet them there. And, and they just weren't there to do that for mm -hmm. me. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's the sense of the forgiveness. I release you yes. from that. And that freed me up. Yeah. And I don't know, maybe there's somebody out there listening right now there's some shame in your past that you didn't learn to fly fish or you didn't learn to needlepoint or you didn't learn to quilt or you didn't learn to play the piano or the guitar or something. And I don't know. It's been a healing experience for me. Uh, challenging. Like I had to work through some stuff. So maybe there's somebody out there that this might inspire. Yeah. Who knows? I love it. Go for it. Do you have any updates for us for the about the TOB Institute? I sure do. We have... An online TOB1 course starting at the end of February. We also will have registration open pretty soon, I think, for our in-person TOB1 online, which will be the third week of June. We also have uh, the philosophy of John Paul II, taught by Dr. Pete Colosi, a friend of mine and colleague, uh, in May. You can check out the links below to on the show notes to learn more about all that. And I want to hold out a save the date for a... We're doing a hybrid live and virtual conference, May 13th to the 15th. We're going to have just some, some um, exclusive tickets for people who want to come. I think we're going to limit it to like 100 people in person. And the then there'll be access online mm -hmm. around the world for anybody. And we're going to use some exciting new technology to do this, and it's going to be interactive. And um, Father Mike Schmitz has agreed to come. Um, there are some Jason Everett's coming. Of course, I'll be there. Matt Frad, I believe, is coming. 
and a few other people were just waiting to confirm. I think I might even be a little premature in making this announcement, but I wanted to get this out to our podcast listeners first. May 13th to the 15th uh, is our annual conference. It's going to be a hybrid virtual and live in person. Yeah. So market calendars. And if you're not already on our mailing list, uh, please go to our, our website. Uh, you can just go to theologythebody.com. That's easy to remember. Or click the link in the show notes uh, and register for, uh, you know, give us your email. You'll see where to do that on our website. So you'll get notified uh, on the dates and registration for all that if you're not already on our email list. Very good. First question from a patron. This is from a patron named Sophia. Hello, Sophia. Hi, Wendy and Christopher. I am so grateful for the gift of your marriage and your podcast. I listen to you every day before going to school to be prepared for what the day would bring. I'm a senior in high school, and I often feel left out. I have always wanted to belong. And even if I have decided to be more authentic, a part of me still wants to be in the group. I feel that the more I show the real me, the less people like me. Mm. I know I am far from perfect, but I don't want to settle with only parties, drinking, smoking, and hookups. So my questions are, what to do when I'm in this discouragement? And also, how to tell my friends and peers that they're made for more? Well, Sophia, gosh, gosh, I can relate uh, first of all, I'm I'm amazed that we have a, a senior in high school is it, mm-hmm. who is a patron. Yeah, I mean, she's putting That's out awesome. her, her hard-earned cash <laughs> right. as a high school senior. Yeah, to be part of our patron community. That's awesome, Sophia. Thank you so much. I hope you're taking advantage of all the the stuff we offer our patrons in terms of ongoing formation. But thank you, Sophia, for I you know whatever job you might have to bring in a little money that you would. Be giving some of that that to us each month really touches my heart. Sophia, I can relate readily to this dilemma you are in. When I was in high school, this is a long time ago. This is back in that ancient decade called the 80s. (laughs) (laughs) When I was in high school in the 80s, I was so afraid of rejection that I really compromised my own identity in ways that I came to regret. And people who are themselves, people who don't play that whole game about wearing masks and just kind of cultivating an appearance to win others' approval, those who don't play that game, those who are willing to be different and be themselves and step out They pay a high price, and they pay a high price from people like I was in high school who was so insecure, the people who were not as insecure as I was, the people who who were genuinely themselves and put themselves out there, I resented their freedom, Mm. and I let them know it, and I made them feel my wrath uh, in various ways. And that just came from my own insecurity. Uh, I write about this in my my book. Um, which one is it? Love is patient, but I'm not. I tell a lot of stories in that book, and one of the stories I tell is 
of this guy in high school named Jeremy who was a really great stage actor. And he was in the plays, and I sat in the audience wishing I had the courage to be up there on stage and knew I didn't, and I resented that he did. Mm -hmm. And he was a year or two behind me in high school, and I just let him know that I didn't like him, but I was really just envious of him. I remember one day he was walking down the hall, and he had a little hole in his book bag, and I, I just ran up to him, and here's my chance to make him look like an idiot. And I put my hands in the, my fingers in that little hole and I ripped it open and all his books fell out. It was just cruel. It, and, it, and it was 30 years later or more that I, I was, this memory came to me in prayer. And I, uh, I, I looked him up. I looked him up online and I found his email and I emailed him and I said, I don't know if you remember me, but, um, I was a real jerk to you in high school, and can we get together for coffee? And he, he's still living in the—I live near my hometown, and he was living near the same hometown. And we did. We got together for coffee 30-whatever years after high school, and I asked his forgiveness for being such a jerk to him. And I told him why I was a jerk. I was a jerk because you were free and I wasn't, and I was envious. And it was a liberation for me, and I think it was a little liberation for him as well to have had that encounter. Why am I sharing this story? Sophia, I want to encourage you, even if you pay a price from insecure people like I was for being yourself and stepping out and not playing that game, know that you are being a witness to the people who would resent you the most. Those are the people you are most powerfully reaching, whether you know it or not. Mm. You are planting seeds. That kid, Jeremy, planted a seed in my heart 30-whatever years ago, and now it's almost 40 years ago, that, that festered in me. It, was, it, it annoyed me. It, was, it, it got in there. It got under my skin, and it was a call to freedom. That's what it was. It was a call to freedom. We need people, Sophia who are bold enough, who are brave enough to, to step out of that game and say, I'm not playing. And you will have people who persecute you for doing that, but you're, you're agitating them in a good way. You will also have people who follow you, who say, wow, Sophia, Sophia was courageous enough to step out of that. I'm going to follow her. I'm going to step out as well. Mm. And you'll have people who quietly admire you. Maybe they don't have the courage yet to to follow you, but they will quietly admire you. Regardless, whether you have people who follow you, quietly admire you, or persecute you, you're sending shockwaves out into the system. And those shockwaves are, are necessary and needed. And the Holy Spirit can lead you into that freedom, Sophia, and I believe he wants to. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Those are my words of encouragement. No. Wendy, I know you have something to say to Sophia, yeah. but I, I just want to say, Wendy, I know you as a teenager had to go through a time of, you know, your mom wasn't going to pay the extra money for the brand name shoes, right. and and you had to wrestle with, okay, where does my identity come from? Yeah. And you came out 
wrestling in a much healthier place than I did because my mom also wasn't going to pay the extra money for the name brand shoes. <laughs> Our moms must have talked or something. <laughs> but I said, no way in hell, mom, am I wearing those non-name brand shoes. I'm going to dish out the extra money myself <laughs> to get the name brand shoes because I have to be Mr. Cool in order to be loved and accepted. <laughs> Which all the while, what I was doing was buying into a system that didn't love me and didn't accept me. Mm. Uh, so anyway. Yeah. I can absolutely relate to much of what Sophia is asking now. And Sophia, even though you're asking this as a high school senior, I want you to know that many adults yes. struggle with these same things in their place of work or in their neighborhood, in their families, in their own families. So you are not alone. You're in that very deep, real place of being authentically human and vulnerable and having desires for communion and all I mean that wanting to be part of the group like ultimately we all want to be in that awesome group in heaven called the communion of saints where Amen. we see and love one another with no danger of rejection or comparison and all that beautiful goodness that our hearts are longing for in every stage of life so I really can relate to that and um, I, I noticed you asked what, what should you do when you're in discouragement about, I've tried to be myself and then people don't like me. And I think Christopher, what you shared was so helpful just to have the beginning of an insight. Why would people, you know, have a negative reaction towards someone being herself and that, that insecurity that would cause someone to resent others who are more free. I think just to take that a little step further beyond understanding a little bit of where that's coming from is the step of intercession. So mm. where you ask the Lord when somebody treats you poorly, that you take a moment to ask the Lord in the silence of your heart, how can I pray for him? How can I pray for her? Um, to just shine a light that gives you a, a certain compassion for others. Uh, when I say shine a light, I mean let the Lord shine a light for you to illuminate something that just helps you to pray. It's not something that I mean for you to say to the other person, oh, you're acting like this because God showed me that. That's not the point. The point is just that quietly you can acknowledge to the Lord that you've felt a pain and ask him, how can you pray for your persecutor? Like, mm -hmm. that's what Jesus talks about in the gospel, right? Pray for those who persecute you. Um, so I think that that's a huge help in our discouragement is to really invite the Lord into the pain and to what we can do to lift up the pain in other people's hearts that they're dishing out to us. I also really encourage you to think about the people who do love you regardless of their age. So this was something that was really helpful to me in my years of being a teen and feeling like, you know, I, I like you, Sophia, did not have a desire to do the things that the teens were doing. So there was already like a, a starting point of it's like hopeless to fit in because I really didn't want to experience the things that they were talking about. You were getting slammed every no, weekend. No, no, the Wendy. drinking and the hookups, <laughs> it was not appealing to me. In fact, 
I would just hear them complaining and they seemed miserable <laughs> about their experiences. I didn't, you know, think it but was. I want to, I want to just point this out that that was because I really believe this was a grace in your life. You know, my stupid joke aside, that was a joke because anybody who knows you knows that that's just not yeah. what you were like, but you, you didn't, you had the grace not to go. You you had the grace to see the emptiness of that path, right. because you had at a younger age, by God's grace, reckoned with where does my identity come from. Yeah, and that's what I was kind of in part getting to is that for me, yes, I was blessed to have a faith life as you are, Sophia, where I could pray, where I could trust in the tr that there's a higher truth that calls my heart in a deeper way than anything else that is being presented. But, but I also had relationships with people, including with children, including with my family, with friends of our family, of all ages, that I could see that people, you know, appreciated me, even though they weren't my peers, usually, that was it was still a source of encouragement to me that, to know that I had value in people's eyes. So I encourage you to give thanks to God for the people who see you and love you. Um, that is gratitude is always a beautiful way to combat discouragement. Sophia, I'll say this too. Um, Christ said, my follower, the, you know, the students are not greater than the teacher. The servants are not greater than the master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. What happens when an authentic human being comes into an inauthentic world? Christ is that. You get crucified. And that is not fun. It was not fun for Jesus. It caused Jesus a lot of pain. But you in the long term will know a profound love and intimacy in union with Jesus in being rejected by others. That intimacy is worth whatever price you must pay for it, including the short-term pain of being rejected by peers who don't understand you or are not as courageous as you are. Uh, finding intimacy with Jesus in our rejection wounds is a, is a path to real intimacy and, and healing and consolation. Mm. It doesn't make the suffering go away, but it gives it rich, rich meaning. Mm -hmm. And we know it leads to glory. Our next question is from an anonymous listener. And I don't know if this is a man or a woman, but the person begins with a quote from uh, the book, The Four Loves by C.S. Lewis. Lewis yep. To love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. Mm. To love is to be vulnerable. Mm. The question is this. Do you have any suggestions for a person 
who finds this to be an attractive option. I know that God made us from love to love and that he commands us to love, but I'm inclined to harden my heart. Hmm. I find myself more inclined to choose comfort than greatness. Bless you, dear listener and questioner. Thank you, first of all, for giving us that quote from C.S. Lewis. I had read The Four Loves years ago, so there's it's kind of ringing in the back of my mind, the memory of that. Um, but I, I want to say to this person who asked the question that what you're encountering in your heart, that preference for comfort, that preference for hardening of the heart, you're just running into your own fallen humanity. Everyone who is in touch with their fallen humanity will recognize that's the inclination. That's where fallen humanity goes, right? Every man has a choice to live from old Adam or new Adam. Every woman has a choice to live from old Eve or, or new Eve. They are operative in us. Uh, through our baptism, we get, we get plugged into new life, new Adam, new Eve, a new humanity. It is possible to live from that new humanity. And that new humanity desires love. And even our old humanity, at its deepest level, underneath the distortions, underneath the brokenness, underneath our selfishness, underneath our sloth and laziness, there is this yearning for love, and it won't quit. And and it is possible to harden your heart and say, I'm just not going to listen to that. I'm going to be, uh, I've been hurt too many times. I'm going to, I'm going to, shut it down, I'm not going to listen to my heart. But in the end, and this is good news, the desire of the heart for love is irrepressible. It's going to come out in one way or another. I'm thinking of a song right now that uh, my kids introduced me, introduced us a few years ago to the work of John Bellion. Mm-hmm. And he's a, a you know, I wouldn't, even, I wouldn't know anything about his music if it weren't for my kids. Uh, but he has this song called Stupid Deep. Mm-hmm. And I play this for my students at the TOB1 course. And uh, one of the lines is, uh, What if all the things I've done were just attempts at earning love? Because the hole inside my heart is stupid deep. Mm. Stupid deep. Uh, that stupid, deep yearning for love is in there. And you can try to squash it. You can try to harden your heart. You can try not to pay attention to it. And you can be successful for a time. But nonetheless, what if all the things I've done were just attempts at earning love? That That is sound anthropology. That is a, a sound understanding of, of human behavior. The way we we live, what we choose to do, how we choose to act, uh, for good or for ill, we're underneath it all. We're trying to win approval. We're trying to win love. We're trying to win acceptance. But this relates to the earlier question from Sophia. What is real love? What is real acceptance? I knew when I was a teenager trying to win acceptance, which I did pretty well, there is this haunting, haunting question underneath Am I really loved for who I am? 
I don't believe I am. That's why I'm wearing all these masks. But when you're wearing masks in order to win love, you, you, the, the haunting feeling, the haunting realization that people love me for my masks and not for who I really am, that will haunt you to the point that you are willing to allow the Lord to soften your hardness of heart. Mm. The hunger for love will overcome the fearful resistance of being vulnerable. Mm. That's been my experience. It's, and it's not like I just had that experience 25 years ago and then got over it, and now I'm, I don't struggle with that anymore. It's, it's, I have to, it'll creep back on you. The old Adam will creep back on you if you're not vigilant saying, Lord, Lord, I, I want to follow you. I want to know the love that is worth the wound that comes with love. Mm-hmm. Uh, the saints talk about this, the, the wound of love. And I think we're, we are ready to embrace the wound of love when or to the extent that we have suffered the wound of unlove. And we're, we're at the point where we're saying, I don't want to play this game anymore. I want the real deal. Is, is, there, is love real? Uh, and, and forgive me, this is just the way my brain works. Um, Springsteen comes to mind. You know, he's crying from the depths of his soul when in his anthem, Born to Run, he says to Wendy, Uh, I want to know if love is wild, girl. I want to know if love is real. Can you show me? Mm -hmm. That is a cry of the heart that we can repress for a time, but it's going to come back. Mm. Yeah, I I feel that. It's it's so beautiful because... um, even though C.S. Lewis used this, uses this, these words, impenetrable, irredeemable, it's not really true that any heart is ultimately irredeemable, but, but that there's a big resistance to redemption that has to be overcome in order for that um, penetration right. of the Holy Spirit, of, of new life. I have just this strong image of that when the uh, the Lord says, I will take your stony heart <laughs> and give you a new heart of flesh, give you a new heart of flesh. I'll take away that stony heart and give you this new heart. And I think for some people, this is a dramatic conversion moment to, you know, to recognize the situation in their own heart that they have just walled off all things that could cause, be a threat in any way. And that opening of that heart mm, glory <laughs> to the love of God and to acknowledge I need a redeemer. Mm. I really, I do pray that um, our listeners can, can take that to heart, take that to heart that we do need a redeemer. We, all of us yes. have in yes. some way, protected our hearts um, 
and some of us have done a really thorough job of it and really need to be uh, just experience something powerful coming from on high. And that's what our faith is about. And I see in myself a tendency to think, well, I, I, yeah, I brought those walls down a long time ago, but again, they, they creep back and there are, there are mm. different layers of protection that we have. And the intimacy that the Lord is calling us to is, a, is an infinite intimacy. It gets deeper and deeper. And a marriage is meant to be an image of that. Uh, and you and I know well, Wendy, that there are deeper places in our heart that we're meant to expose to one another. And We've been through a lot of married life, you know, going on 27 years, and that doesn't necessarily make, I mean, you and I trust one another at a deep level, but that doesn't mean that when we see, oh, there's deeper layers that we're called to, there, to let go of certain defenses and fears that we have, there's a call to that softening of the heart that is new. Uh, that, that that it's not a once and done thing. Um, if we if we think, oh I, yeah, I already softened my heart. Uh, okay, there's there's uh, I'm sure you have. Praise God, but there's more. Intimacy is is a call that that never stops, and every layer of deeper intimacy calls for a letting go of another layer of defense that we've put up. And it's understandable that we put these defenses up because life is hard. Life hurts. Uh, I walled off my heart as a boy because I was in so much pain. And, like, I, I walled it off, I, I locked it up, and I threw the key away. Only Jesus can save me from that hardness of heart. Uh, and I need to be saved every day. Mm. So I can entirely re relate to this person who asked this question. And yet, isn't it interesting that this person submitted this quote from C.S. Lewis, that there was some attraction, it seems to me there's some attraction. Oh, yeah. So there's the pool right there. Like, this person is attracted to this quote of C.S. Lewis, but sees the battle. Yeah, welcome, welcome to the human struggle. There it is. <laughs> and that's why we need a Savior. Jesus, save me, save me. Turn my heart of stone into a heart of flesh. Yes. Our next question is from a listener named Cap. Hello, Cap. How can we orient our sexual desire to avoid being turned to our own pleasure and our own selfish reasons? but to truly love the other and have God as our priority. I fear that my interest in the theology of the body might be because of my own prospects of selfish pleasure. Mm, that's an honest admission. Bless you, Cap. Uh, yeah, I can relate to that. I, th I think it's, as I was saying in my answer to the previous question about the need for ongoing conversion, in just Lord soften my heart, turn my heart of stone into a heart of flesh. We can apply similar principles to to this question. There are there are mixed motives in our hearts. There's no question. The 
Catechism says it very clearly that till the end of time, uh, the good seed of the gospel uh, will be intertwined in the human heart with the weeds that have been planted by an enemy. That is true of Mother Teresa. Uh, I mean, she's in heaven now. She is a saint. Uh, her heart has been entirely purified. But it's true of anyone. It's true of any living saint. There are still weeds in there, weeds of selfishness, weeds of pride, weeds of ego. I was I was just reading a book uh, yesterday. <clears throat> Excuse me, I'm still overcoming a little catch in my throat from a cold. Um, that that talks about this immense pride that we have to let the Lord overcome in our lives. And my response to that was, well, okay, I mean, I have pride. Sure, I have pride in me, but immense pride? Uh, and, and then he said, we also have this immense ego. And I'm like, okay, I mean, I have, yes, I know I have ego issues, but immense, do I have immense ego issues? I really didn't like that word immense. Like I couldn't, I didn't want that. I didn't want to admit that I have an immense ego. Well, guess what? The reason I don't want to admit admit that I have an immense ego is because of my immense ego. <laughs> well, there it is. <laughs> so the we we are we are we are helplessly uh when we look at our own resources, we are helpless to overcome our fallen humanity. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus didn't say, apart from me, you can do some things here and there, but but these bigger things you can't do without me. And he said, apart from me, you can do nothing. So Cap, bless you, brother. You are encountering your mixed motives. You are encountering your ego. You are encountering your selfishness. You're encountering your lust you're welcome to the human race. Apart from Jesus, you can do nothing to change that. And that's, that's, that can be sound harsh, but it's true. Apart from Jesus, you can do nothing to save yourself from that. Uh, there, there are human virtues, right? We can, we can build habits that are helpful, uh, when Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing, he's, he's not saying you get erased, uh, you have no role to play. Uh, you have to, your freedom is real. You have to give your consent cap every day. And every time you see that selfish motive in you, every time you, you sense a, a sexual pull in you that wants to gratify itself in a base way and at somebody else's expense, that's what we call lust. You have a choice. Uh, you can allow Christ into it to transform it. You can strive to fix it yourself. Uh, you can repress it, or you can just indulge it. I, I would suggest inviting Jesus into it, inviting God's grace into it uh, to recognize, okay, Lord, here is this selfish, lustful desire in my heart. I open it to you. I give it to you. You know exactly what this desire in my heart is, and more importantly, remember the basic principle. Anybody familiar with our podcast knows this principle by now. The devil does not have his own clay. All the enemy can do 
is take God's good clay and twist it up. That's what sin is. It's the twisting of a good. So that lustful desire, Jesus knows full well the content of that lustful desire. And he also knows the good desire in your heart that got twisted up. And he knows how to say, Cap, let me show you what you're really looking for. If you are willing, and this is St. Paul says this, uh, the, those who follow Christ allow their sinful passions to be crucified. Why? So they become passionless? No. Right? It's not just about death. It's about death and resurrection. And, and I'll quote C.S. Lewis here. Uh, since C.S. Lewis has been a part of the show, he came to mind. Mm -hmm. He says, what, and, and this is after a, a beautiful uh, illustration of, of this lizard of lust that gets slain, crucified, uh, put to death, and is transformed into a great white stallion. Mm. And he says, what is a lizard compared with a stallion? Lust is a pale, weak, whimpering thing, he says, compared with that richness and energy of desire that will be raised up in you if you but allow your lusts to be slain. So my brother Cap, that's the path. We allow our sinful passions to be crucified so that we can also live a new life. And the passion in us, resurrected, redeemed desire, is, is a passion, is a yearning, is a, is a desire, a power, a potency to love, to lay down your life that is more powerful than the lustful desire to use someone for your own gratification. And here I'll quote Pope Benedict XVI, who in turn is quoting one of the fathers of the church, whom I forget his name, but so take it from Pope Benedict XVI. He says, is there any more mad eros than that which led Christ the bridegroom to the marriage bed of the cross, to lay down his life for his bride? That's what St. Paul's talking about when he says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. He's calling husbands to a mad eros, the mad eros of the bridegroom Jesus Christ. That's what awaits us if we allow our lusts to be crucified. Earlier, when you mentioned about the, the weeds continuing in us, I think it's good also to acknowledge that we, part of working out our life is, is not just accepting weeds all the time in our lives and, and spiritual direction and, and having good confessions right. are, are ways of giving good wheat more room to grow. Right, right. <laughs> um, and I think this, just this question, I really perceive it as a sensitive conscience that it could be easy to want to ignore this dynamic within one's heart, you know, to think, oh, that, oh don't even think about that. But I think there's a grace here that um, is a gift when we just have a humble sense of ourselves that we're all fallen. We all have fallen desires and we don't have to have this prideful, oh, no, not me, you know, kind of mm -hmm. as you were talking mm -hmm. about, but just in a humility to accept like this is a light from the Holy Spirit that I can bring to confession. I can I can bring it and open it to grace. Um, and 
allow the Lord to form that that more powerful passion for genuine love in our hearts. Amen. Thank you, Wendy. That that was yeah. There is grace working in you, Kat. Just keep saying yes to it, brother. If you know somebody who needs to be reached by this podcast, what you've heard today, maybe somebody struggling with a similar or even the same question in his or her heart, will you help us to reach that person by pushing the share button and helping us get this podcast out to others? We would be so grateful. And if you are blessed by the work we do here at the Theology of the Body Institute, would you consider becoming a patron? Your monthly support goes a long way to enabling us to do this podcast and to reach people through our courses and all the other ways that we are seeking to spread this good news. And as a patron, we would love to offer you, and we do, uh, ongoing formation in this teaching exclusive to our patron community. So check out that link. Till next time, may you know it deep in your heart that you are a gift. Become what you are. Ask Christopher West is brought to you by the Theology of the Body Institute with music by Mike Mangione. Christopher and Wendy hope that the information provided is helpful to you, but remind you that they are not licensed counselors. If you are going through serious difficulty, a list of trusted counselors and psychologists can be found in the show notes. Thank you.